Hey guys, me Alex. Just want to take a quick second before we start the show to tell you that I am sponsored by a lovely bar in Portland called The Standard. Please go to facebook.com slash thestandardpdx and check out things there. I like this place. On Sundays, there's $2 microbrews. On Wednesdays, there's $1 hams, a pint of hams for $1. On Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, there's other deals that sure are wonderful. I don't know, because, well, frankly, I really only know the hams thing from memory, and I like $2 microbrews, but those are things you should know. Another thing you should know is 14 Northeast 22nd in Northeast Portland, and that's in Oregon. Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine, because, boy, I mean, maybe there's one in Portland, Maine. I don't think there is. Facebook.com slash TheStandardPDX, and please go and enjoy. Make sure to click like and all that good stuff. Tell them the Alex cast sent you. I don't think anybody's ever said that, but you should. It'd be good. Anyway, yeah. Speaking of that, you can find me, AlexCast.com, at TheAlexCast on Twitter, Facebook.com slash AlexCast and whatever. Just go to AlexCast.com. While there, make sure to click the PayPal link um, and give me a donation because I am trying to get up enough money to afford a new show computer. This one is dying. I cannot do Skype casts until I get a new machine. So please, 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 if you like the AlexCast, you may have heard my last episode was a seven-minute long thing begging for money. Well, that's all that's happening here before the show and before the theme. Cool. So go to AlexCast.com, click on things, buy my book if you want. That gives me money hit the donate button there's a there's a bitcoin donate on there good glad give me some bitcoin i don't really even know how it works but be fun anyway cool so that's that i have a fella called gates on tonight and we discuss a whole range of magical energy topics and it is really quite good at least i had fun while we we're recording it and to me that is the hallmark of an interesting alex cast if i can keep my attention i think i can keep your attention and that probably doesn't work because I'm a strange, weird, ritual occultist that lives in a basement and talks to other people about occultism. But eh, so it goes. So it was. So it went. So it will be again. Please enjoy this episode of the Alex Cast. Hey guys, it's me, Alex, and I am in studio with an energy worker from Portland that I have asked the internet, and the internet has responded with uh, Mr. Gates. Hello, yeah, sir. That's me, yes. Gates, the energy worker. Gates, the energy worker. I like it. It's a good. It's a good name. Though um, I suppose names are important in our, our various lines of work. Yeah. Yes, it is one of my many names. Yeah. So, well, I guess we just start this way. Why don't um. I hate asking this kind of question, but how did how did you find yourself not necessarily in this basement, but how did you find yourself in the path of energy work or you know? It um, developed when I was very young. Um, I found this external source of power, if you will, um, when I was meditating. I would uh, I was in kung fu when I was very young, and I would sit down and meditate afterwards. It's like the uh, sportsman's high that you get. And I found this strange um, energy 
that wasn't present um, before to my awareness. And I learned to develop it and uh, become more and more sensitive to it. Yeah. So I suppose from there... Well, you know, I guess, wait, let me, let me ask you this, because there's all sorts of this energy stuff I'm interested in, because it's, depending on how much you know, and obviously you're well-versed in this, there seems to be an overlap where a lot of things, like everything else with kind of magic and spirituality, it seems like everything gets lumped together in a weird way, where it seems like these are maybe not disparate systems, but different aspects of a similar system, like, so if Kung Fu is, you know, some kind of key, chi energy and then there's the little bit more moving, you know, westwardly kind of um, chakra system. And then, you know, Egyptians had a, their own kind of variant form of chakras, which I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. So when you're developing, let's just use Kung Fu, for example, do you, to you, is that the same energy system as the other ones, you know, as chakras? Or is this, you know, or are we talking about different highways in the same system or is this completely different stuff? In my mind, they're all metaphors for a very similar thing. We're all trying to tap in and access this space. And chi, in my mind, it is natural to the body and the mind. Through magic, you're indirectly manifesting it through gnosis or meditation um, in ways to channel it in a different way to get your subconscious to do it. Energy is rather more of a direct method. You tap into it directly and you quiet the mind in order to channel these energies as with the Crowley system of the tree of life or sigils and the chaos variant. Yeah. So you see it as I've, I've talked to the audience to death about chaos magic. So, um, I mean, they'll love to hear more, but you see it as the same. Well, I view chaos magic as that thing of, I hate to use the term will because I've, I have a, I kind of fight with will and ego because it just seems I can't drop that kind of the arrogance that gets associated with those words, but you see energy work, or at least to me, I see chaos magic work as kind of not imposing your will on the universe, but imposing your kind of quantum theory metaphor. Your perception of things influences the physical reality around you, if there can be a right. reality. Right. So in your in your estimation or your view, the energy stuff is that same, not that same thing, but it's a metaphor towards something else, not actually the the thing operant it's a description of the thing it is quite similar yes yeah. um carol uh peter carol yeah. wrote uh labyrinth and psychonaut um argued in his first book that uh, i'm going to slaughter this quote but no, um there is the the path to nothing or the middle path leads ultimately nowhere and uh it, it is up to the magician to seek uh either white or black and uh, there's a hidden gem of insight in that. While he was bashing the middle way um, intentionally, um, unintentionally, he was also saying something actually quite poetic. And that is the middle path um, basically leads to that nothingness. And that's the point. If you read the Tao Te Ching, that's kind of the idea. Out of void, there is form. And out of form, there is void. Yeah. Actually, is really good. I don't think I picked up on that. Yeah. So, that's really interesting. So it's kind of the the awareness of void, or the lack of awareness, or the void of void, by recognizing both sides. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting path. That's the 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 Crowley thing, which I got turned off. 
by early on and kind of recently came to realize, you know, his whole I'm the Beast 666 concept of, you know, going totally in the, I don't like to use the term black, but going in one direction, but it is for shock value. You know, it isn't a Christian dynamic of good and evil, yes and no. It's a, all it is is it's dipoles, you know, it's just choosing one or the other. It's not, you know, a, a, a moralistic decision. I wouldn't call Crowley black um, mm. in the strictest sense. He was a white magician. He was, in essence, trying to destroy the advent of dogma that yeah. was burdening the minds of that century. And in doing so, he was being their antithesis, their worst of worsts. And that was his intent, was to free the minds of the masses. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean is the, yeah, the antithesis. So it's the other, it's the dipole, you know. So when you make the comparison, it shocks you into that place of realizing, like I've, I've been reading the Gnostic stuff for a while and it took me forever to realize that if, if, so their whole concept is, you know, the, the Old Testament God, Yahweh is, is Yaudabaleth, I think is the actual, the name they call it, but it's the Demiurge. It's essentially is a evil, inbred, fucked up, I'm a complete destroyer God. And that's the thing that, that the Old Testament's called the Yahweh. And it, and because they're, you know, it's Gnostic, you know, Christianity, I never really differentiated the thing of, well, wait a second, why would they have, you know, let's say the Ten Commandments? Like, why would they even remotely think about morality in the way of, that's an evil God, you know, that's an inbred, fucked up, destructive God. And it took me to get to Crowley to realize that of, well, what he's doing is drawing, drawing the antithesis. And then you go, oh, wait, oh, fuck. The antithesis does show me that the other side is just as fucked, you know, is white and black aren't definitions. They're just, you know, locations on a spectrum. Right. Eventually yeah. you get to the same point and yeah. realize ultimately it all leads nowhere, thus yeah. getting to the middle path. Yeah. So where do we go is kind of, I guess, the question, like in energy work. And I mean, I guess I'm asking you, what do you perceive as... What's the point of this? What's, you know, what's, what's the finish line? What's the, why, why do we have dipoles and middles and, and I'm asking you, explain the universe to me. <laughs> I was asking myself this very same question for the longest time. And finally I came to the realization that the end is just simply right here in front of us, right now, speaking now. That's the point, is now. It's always now. Yeah. And that's the point of Buddhism, Zen, all of that. It just leads you to the present moment. And as long as we can stay here is ideal. But we will get caught up in the futures and the pasts because that's the nature of our human psyche. But the point is, is to try and look at these thoughts and these feelings as clouds, to let them pass through you. Sometimes they're great and dangerous and full of lightning and rain. And sometimes they're beautiful in front of a golden sunset but to realize that they pass no matter how ideal beautiful or harmful they might be they will go yeah that, that, well i was turned on to that through ram das which i think a lot of people did that be here now you know the straightforward manual to trying to keep your head in that spot but the um the fight i have that's not a fight but it's the intellectual back and forth i put on with myself is I suppose the acceptance of nothingness or the acceptance of pointlessness throws me. Like, I, I feel, you know, I guess maybe I'm stuck in the future too much. You know, growing up, I was stuck in the past. Now I'm stuck in the future. And, you know, maybe at some point I even out and get to that middle state. But it seems like being in the, just being 
mindful being present all the time and that being the point feels a little I don't want to say I don't know it feels a little self-serving like you're like you're not offering enough like it just feels right. like it's a little too like oh yeah great so you're happy so right. you know um I, I think the uh the the Buddhists who take the bow of compassion kind of try and get away from this by uh saying you know i'm gonna reincarnate until the very last being does yeah. and, and that's the enlightened selfishness of uh i'm here for you really yeah um and it is it does come off that way i think um all i can say to that is you know it works for me and yeah uh, it, i kind of enjoy it sometimes but i also am guilty of getting caught in the mundane just like everyone else yeah it's it's such a strange thing because every I mean I guess it's I'm to the point now on kind of the path that I've been on that I keep saying this uh to my lady friend that you know cliches happen for a reason because I keep finding these like little pearls of wisdom and it's like I've known that since I was seven but now like oh yeah now I know that you right, know right. and it's so weird when you kind of get to that point that those kind of the old adages you're like oh crap you know I threw them away because they're cliches and they're just these silly things but it's like wait a second, love thy neighbor as you love yours. No, that's really good. Like, yep. way to go, Jesus. Like, wow, like, that you're dropping some really huge wisdom bombs. Like, I got all wrapped up because I was raised Catholic and you're hanging from a cross above my head and everything's dour and in Latin and I'm drinking your blood. But really, love thy neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah, all right. Oh, good for you. All of that ancient occult knowledge is wrapped up in a fine Christian package. Yeah. I mean, that was... The point really was to take all of Toth and all of, you know, Egypt and all of Greece and Rome and, and try and summarize it all. And that's kind of Christianity now. And we hate it because it's so dogmatized and we try and seek other places um, for interest and, you know, kind of turn our backs to it. But really, it's um, when you look at it objectively and without dogma, it's a very good variable and summary. Yeah. It's a, uh, I don't remember who came up with it, but there's that, the, uh, the red letter Christians where they just basically went through and just took all the crap Jesus said. Not, th it was reported that Jesus said, it was just the stuff in the Bible that's directly attributed, and that's the whole Bible to them. Right. I was like, alright, I can, okay, I can get behind that. And just, it's just odd to come back around again, you know, going back to, you know, finding truth in cliche, it's like, growing up as, you know, fighting Christianity, like, that's the enemy, and I kind of, still kind of think they're the enemy a little bit, you know, the, that uh, um, I don't remember who said it, but you know, I like I, I really, really like Jesus, but I don't like his followers. Right, you know, right. it's one of those things. So I was like, yeah, I probably still am fighting Christianity. I kind of think they're the enemy, but like, they're the guy they're started from, kind of fond of. And then it's just odd to see circling back, because you know, I'm coming from the like I'm going from the Egyptian tradition and finding those, you know, finding the same stories in there, and you know, just finding the same wisdom everywhere, kind of echoing. When you peel off all the, all the, you know, you can own slaves and women aren't equal and like you peel off all that just desert nomad crap and yeah, it's, that's, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of stuck in clicheville now, which is difficult to talk about because I just, I'd spent 10 years reading really obscure occult books <laughs> to find out that, you know, I could like, oh crap, you're it's talking about. It's all very simple yeah. right here, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I guess, you know, being in the moment on that, on one level, you know. Yeah. So, on the, you know, I guess that's the philosophical side. Is the other side of it. I try to, so I do, you know, I practice, 
I don't even want to say chaos magic. I mean, I suppose that's where I started, but free form is more of what I like because it just yeah. chaos magic. Once you started putting a word on it, I feel like it's not chaos magic anymore because right now now there's instruction manuals and well, that's a find your own way sort of magic. Yeah, and yeah. so it starts out as chaos, and you learn a great deal as a neophyte, and then you find your own way, and so you stop defining it as chaos. You yeah, start defining it as your own form of magic, and you adhere to the magic with a K because that's how you differentiate yourself from you know, simple magics. Yeah. On on a side, and this is coming from me being a writer, is there a, a, a K form of the word magician? Because I was trying to think of this of how, how I was writing up this episode. Because magic is with a K, and that's the way I spell it when I reference, you know, the, the work I do. Right. But how do you call yourself a magician? Because, I mean, you can't, you'd be a magic-ish, you know, if you kept the K there. Right. Um, it's really just a grammar question. Uh, sorry, right. that's terribly I've, boring, but it's. <laughs> when I write it down, I, I use the K and, and it's, it's odd to look at, but it, it differentiates the yeah. two forms. We're not illusionists. Yeah. We are practitioners of the mind. Yeah. And all of that theology, it brings up a good point. Um, all of the theology that we read, all of the parables and the stories of old, um, the wisdom passed down. Uh, a lot of that is metaphor for the mind. It's like the, uh, have you read, uh, I'm gonna butcher this because all I've done is read it, um, the Apophion? Oh, yeah, well, I'll say I read it. I mean, I, yes, I read most of it, kind of picking and choosing. It's not the. Okay, yeah. well, in it, Carol speaks of an internal pantheon. That's as if, um, Mount Olympus lives in your mind, and all the gods and demons reside there as well. And through our magical, relationship with the world around us we are actually influencing our mind so 90 percent of magic is just strictly controlling those internal gods that we hold dear and so that's what the christian world is about that's why it translated so easily to voodoo and you know the problem with christianity in my mind um not only the dogma but there's only one true being. Um, he, he comes up with this idea that we have multiple selves. Um, these gods that will basically control the body and the mind for certain periods of time. Like me now, I'm speaking through my thought form um, in this framework of, of understanding. But me later, where I'm hanging out with friends and playing cards, I'm more like the, you know, jester or, you know, the social type. And so it's invoking these um, and becoming them and negotiating how these things work with each other. And if one's misbehaving, then, you know, to banish it or find a new one. And the problem with Christianity, as I said earlier, is that there is only one right way. That is the, the Jesus Christ. And demons are oftentimes called legion because there are so many of them. And Carol, in his book, um, says that the reason why that it's so hard to maintain this one ideal personality is because the legion of, of other selves are speaking out against, you know, the Christ. Yeah. Because we have these needs, these sexuality interests and things of that nature that uh, resurface and make you sin. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting... My... um. There's a there's the, the the modern magician being uh, psychology. I think Robert Anton Wilson may have been him or one of those one of those guys from the 60s. But it is interesting that not so much. I don't even. Want, I keep saying it's interesting because it's one of those. I'm kind of in a this this 
idea of, you know, so we are, we're machines perceiving reality. And to change the nature of the machine is to tactically change your own reality. Right. I get that. But there's a certain kind of, I suppose what I'm, what I'm kind of driving at is, is in this, in energy work and in doing just any kind of ritual or just magic in any way, do you feel, I guess I'm asking, is there an objective reality? That's, that's the long way around this to you, obviously. The objective reality. That's an interesting thing. Um, I feel that when you blank out your mind, that's what all of the point of this is. Yeah. The point of all of this metaphor and, and uh, ritual is to be able to quiet them all down and to simply exist in a place where that does not bother you, where your mind is no longer speaking, thinking, or acting beyond that of the natural body's processes. And then you begin to feel these energies once you're able to tap into them. And they become more and more prevalent. They become more and more accessible. And that is as close to the objective reality um, a human being can get, Yeah, I think. Yeah, I tend to agree with your side of it there that I don't know that we have the capability of... If there is an objective reality, then I'm not convinced that's true. But if there is something closer to something along those lines, something... That we would, as metaphor, call solid, even though this is a metaphor for being solid because it's mostly empty space. But for verbal language, a solid object of reality would be beyond the scope of the ones living in it. You know, you'd have to be outside the reality to look at it. So I suppose the, not necessarily the argument, but my question is, and I do this as, as a magic practitioner, is what am I doing when I affect the reality or the reality as perceived by me? Not just the, in the quieting of the mind, because it's difficult that it is. I get that in a meditative state. I get that during ritual. I understand it on a way that, yeah, I could see that there's a much further level. You know, I could see where that wisdom path can lead a bit. What I don't get is when it seems like I've done something that has literally affected something that isn't within the bounds of me. Right. What, you know, what are we doing there? That, that, that's the strange one. Okay. So, uh, first I'm going to quote, um, Douglas Adams. Um, when someone figures out the universe, it suddenly changes. Um, so once you figure out everything about the universe and how it works, then it changes to be more complex and interesting and weird. Um, in terms of magic, there are several theories and I don't adhere to any of them, but, I employ them pending on the situation. Yeah. Um, so there's the psychological theory that all of these things, external forces, are somehow part of my mind, um, including magic. And, and that is an interesting workaround, especially uh, if you're in a magical duel, which very, very rarely happens. But in any case, um, the psychological aspect can be a very useful tool. There's the magical aspect, which truly is, you know, I am a magician and I'm affecting the universe around me. And then there's the energetic, and then there's variants in between. Um, and I try and function as much as possible in the energetic variation, but sometimes I will adhere to the psychological one because it proves more useful. Yeah. See, the, 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 the issue I'm having with everybody I talk to about this, and me, because I hear myself doing it, is we give slippery answers because it's not, language doesn't work here. So I just, one of my friends was asking me pretty much similar question and my answer was pretty similar to yours. 
And he's like, but you didn't answer. Like, but that's the best I can do. That's because it's fourfold or sixfold. That's they're equal but different, and I'm just choosing which way to approach reality if there is one. Uh, right. Well, my attempt is to point my finger, and uh, so hopefully, you know, you guys won't look at my finger. Instead, you'll look where I'm pointing and try and figure it out yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it's it's a good enough metaphor. Yeah, and. It's just, it's such a weird thing because I hear myself answering and it's, I feel, when I was younger, much, much, you know, teenage years, I went through that misanthropic, uh, atheist, you know, uh, this weird just uh, entropic meat sacks phase, you know, right. you know, verbally bashing everyone around. And I still kind of have that skill set in me, you know, if there is a skill set there of cold, mechanistic looking at things. It's very useful. Yeah. Especially in this practice. Yeah. But then sometimes it kind of yells at me where it's, well... What what kind of answer are you giving, Alex? How how have you? I was, at one point, I was in this deep meditative state, and I got contacted by Sekhmet from Egyptian pantheon, and it's a weird thing to say, but it's the only way I can describe it because that's my perception of it. Right. I'm not saying I talk to an Egyptian goddess, but that is exactly what I'm saying because I don't have the tool set. There's no way to do that. I, the only way to do it is to well spend. 20, whatever, I guess at that point, 32 years being Alex Boland, live his life completely and go into a meditative state. And okay, those are the words I have to use to describe this to you. Right. And it's, it becomes a kind of thing of like, well, maybe this is just a subjective reality. Is that if there's no way to, if there's no way for you to push that into you via art, language, or whatever else, you know, maybe this, this is not a, I suppose I just, it's the interaction between, like, right now, what are we doing on a nod? I, like, I, instead of my eyeballs processing, my brain sending signals to vocal cords, my lungs breathing, what would an outsider see this as? You know, not a person in the room, but an outsider, you know? Right. I don't know. Yeah. One of us should find out. <laughs> I want to I wanna, I wanna contact somebody up there or down there or one shade universe to the left and and figure out what can you guys explain something to me like why 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 do we see mechanical elves on dmt that doesn't make sense you know? right right and on the energy work level going going back to kind of the center of talk what do you think of well essentially what do you think of drugs on this level drugs um i know that's a broad term but yes yeah. no i know exactly what you're yeah. speaking of uh psychedelics more strictly yeah. um probably um i think they're shortcuts um yeah. to opening the mind and most of this practice again is psychology and psychedelics will um they will cause you to look inward and be your true self as you are now um and that can be either very scary or very enlightening. And it, they show you a path to change or continue on. Um, and they are not friendly teachers at all times. They are true teachers in, in the truest sense. They show you what you are, uh, from my experience, if you're using them in the kind of way that pertains to spiritual practices. You're not sitting and watching some television show yeah. or, or whatnot. When you do it in a meditative way, safely, um, you know, around uh, very friendly people that can help you through this experience that might be mind-altering and uh, dangerous, um, you will develop basically an understanding of self that you hadn't before, 
which is possible to uh, to do on your own um, through meditation and these exercises. Uh, so yeah, that's my stance. On so that. the shortcut terminology, just to to make it clear for me, and I think some of the audience wise, are you using shortcut? I don't I don't want to use judgment terms, but using shortcut in a way that like literally you can get there faster or because often there's kind of a pejorative associated with shortcut like you're taking the easy way or the the not long-term beneficial um it's i'd say twofold um i I, i'm hesitant to strongly suggest the usage of psychedelics um and i'm also hesitant to say no they're wrong yeah um for some people they will be very powerful um and they will basically rip you a new asshole, so to speak. They will show you what you are, and it can be very ugly. And they will show you what there is to come, or simply how to be in this current existence. You might see, like, uh, as a cultural anthropologist might, you know, study symbols. So you look around you while you're on these substances, and you see what all of these things mean to you, the dogmas you you hold the symbols in your room or wherever you take them and what they that prescribe meaning is to you at a very base level it is not objective reality but it is simply looking at that reality and it can be scary yeah yeah the um i've talked about it on the show a few times not to go to i had a, one of those ego death really bad mushroom trips when i was young and affected my course permanently like changed my brain right entirely but in in now coming 17 years later um or whatever it is coming to the point of like yeah all right, that was actually a really fruitful thing like that turned me from the path of you know ego monster people hater to you know weird ritual magician helper person you know right in the long term but there's this like popularity going on with ayahuasca on the internet that everybody there's these all these ayahuasca journeys going down and people flying to south america and doing you know, ritual, incredibly powerful psychedelics well, to try to... as a yeah. person who thinks that pain is the greatest teacher, I would strongly suggest doing that. Yeah. Um, that ego death you experienced at a young age, that was very necessary because it showed you the way, your true way, uh, as Crowley might say, will. Yeah. Um, and the most pleasant people, the most gentle people and genuine people have experienced a great deal of pain because they don't want to inflict that on the universe around them. Yeah. I, I think it's very necessary to, to look at yourself as much as possible. Um, <clears throat> I actually, uh, if you, have you read Jung's Red Book? No, I haven't. It's one of those things that's been on the list since I heard about it and yeah. I have not gotten to it. Um, I, I was quoting this to a, uh, a fellow, he's my neighbor actually, uh, I lent it to him today, um, and Jung said something along the lines of, let the suffering be so great that they don't look to others for sense of self, but look inwards, find yeah. truly themselves. And that's another horribly butchered quote, but basically, suffering points inward. It doesn't make you look outward to see self and others through social interaction, but rather makes you analyze yourself and what you need to be so you don't feel or in, inflict that suffering on others. Yeah. No, I agree wholeheartedly. It's the, I suppose it's the popularity of it kind of makes me 
not suspect. I, I suppose I'm just kind of concerned for people because I'm watching people with, and I don't mean to be judgmental, but people with weak heads that they're not ready for this. And they're talking about going and taking a really powerful hallucinogen in the jungle. And I, I, I'm kind of worried. Like these are, these are, these are people that have not read much. They're not, they're just, they're slightly sad and they're about to do something really kind well, of freaky. With coyote as my spirit animal, I, you know, laugh in, in chaos yeah. while you're there. Cause that's all you have. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's truth. It's, it's just, uh, it's, I suppose I should stop caring, uh, so much about what other people are doing, but it just, it, it's just a string of ill-prepared people going into something and like, cause I didn't like doing that. Like, not, not that I did ayahuasca, but I didn't like having my brain ripped open. Like, well, um, who, who is ever prepared for that really? Yeah, I suppose it's just, you hear, you know, you hear stories of like, you know, the, the great, uh, the great psychonauts and, you know, you don't hear a lot of their, you know, you don't hear Timothy Leary's, you know, brain being ripped open robert anton wilson's worst trip was he saw the peyote god dancing around you know right it's it seems like there's some some people get eased in a little bit and not not looking at them jealously because well that wasn't that wasn't the way my head was so you know so it goes but well there is the you know it's hard to sell an idea if it's you know very painful to get into initially yeah so you know they might have had very troubling experiences early on but um, you know, don't want to speak much of that because, you know, it, that's the path. Yeah, it's true. I suppose for me, I, I, I guess maybe just I'm attracted to that side of it. I think I would have been more apt if I'd known, if I'd known, like, I didn't know the term ego death until years later when I was retelling the story of, of having a bad mushroom trip. Someone pointed that out to me, like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what that was, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, I get it. If someone had not explained that to me, I'm not lamenting it, but I think I would have been. Because I was aware I wasn't living a particularly fruitful life, you know. I was I was aware of my dickheadness. I would have probably gone for it quicker. Like, oh, you mean demons might rip me open, and then I'll have a chance of being fresh and new and open to everything. Fuck yeah, let's do this, you know. Yeah. Let's let's you know wipe the third eye down and get this thing started again. Absolutely. Yeah. So people at home, um, I'm recommending that if you want to have your brains ripped open, go to South America and take ayahuasca. Yeah. And my suggestion is to uh, dance and laugh and see chaos while you're there. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> so um, there's a concept that's fun. What do you think the third eye is? In your, obviously, your opinion, purely. Um, in terms of chakras, I have felt some of them. I, I have felt my own soul. I felt the soul of another. And it is kind of a controversial issue what the soul is. Um, and you asked about the third eye. So the third eye, that's not where the ch the soul lives in my mind. But um, it's, from my experience, opening it allows you to think better, simply. Yeah. So you're able to draw in energy from whatever place you're trying to draw it from or push it out. Yeah. This is uh, the, the kind of, you know, they're talking about, the, you know, that's the pineal gland. You know, you can decalcify it through various means and, right. you know, and I, I'm kind of saying that lightheartedly because... It's just if you ever read the websites that describe how to decalcify your pineal glands, they're not exactly the most grammatically correct <laughs> articles you're ever going to run into. Or, you know, it's a little, uh, you know. Most of my practice is just simply through what I've found in myself. Yeah. I, I try, I do read, and I'm interested in what other people find. But most of it is just simply handed down from ancient texts. Yeah. Because we like to worship the idea of the fact that ancients knew more than we do. 
And while that's interesting, um, it, it's not very useful for someone that's trying to practice actively and do things on their own. Um, I'd like to find out these methods and things for myself. And, and if I can find a shortcut through, you know, an ancient text, then great. But, you know, some theory or philosophy on how the chakras move and, and what they all mean and, and whatnot. Um, if I don't find it there and I try and believe it's there, it's not really doing me any good. It's actually hindering my practice. Yeah. That's a really good point for anybody at home. If you're struggling with, I have friends that talk to me a lot about they're reading whatever X holy book and they don't get this part and they're really struggling with that. Well, just throw it out. It's not, I don't, I mean, I guess I just, I have that. I don't really believe much is sacred. It's, it's, it's a fucking book. Like, right. I'm it, a writer. I've already written two. Like, just throw it. Who gives a fuck? Just tear the page out you don't like. If you like the rest. Eh. Throw away your dogmas and, and find what is true meaning to you. Yeah. I might be missing a chakra or two. Who knows? Yeah. You know? Right. We're not all built the same. Yeah. That's another one of those things of the uh, the chakra people. Not the chakra people because there's, you know, infinite number of different variants of belief. But that... One size fits all kind of yoga technique that seems to be popular now just immediately kind of rubs me the wrong way in this McDonald's-y kind of form. You know, it's just you have to do this posture for this many minutes, that posture for that many minutes. And it's, I don't know, I feel like it, I feel like they're taking the spirituality out of the spiritual work in a way. Right. Well, it's this adherence of, of like I said, dogmas, this yeah. belief. So when you believe in something, it, it kind of holds you more than you hold it. It controls the way you think about that environment. And if you try and have a conversation who disagree um, with you, with someone who disagrees with you, um, you're going to be hard-pressed to find any solid ground, um, especially if you truly do believe in these chakras. And while I can say personally that I've felt a few, I can't solidly say that they all exist. Um, but I can solidly say that energy exists uh, yeah. because of my experience, because of what I've, I've done. It's, I mean, we speak of dogmas and, and say, you know, all of them are wrong or all of them shouldn't be there, but I am hard pressed not to believe in gravity or energy or, you know, the air around me will sustain my lungs and whatnot, you know? Yeah. So that is one I hold alongside with gravity or air. Yeah. Well, it's that old thing of like, if you're truly nihilist, you wouldn't be, you know? So if you have no dogmas and you now have a dogma, sorry. Yeah. You know, you've, you've now circled back in on yourself. Yeah. yeah. And, and even I'm guilty of some spiritual dogmas. I mean, it, it's hard to eliminate them all. I'm yeah. actually, uh, reading, um, energized meditation by Christopher Hyatt right now. And I'm, I'm going through all of them, you know, all the practices and, and trying to find, you know, even though I, feel that I'm well enough versed to do these things and skip all the dogma practices. I, uh, I wanted to spend the time and do that. And I'm finding that, yes, I, I hold some myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much that way. I did all the kind of head work first. So, and uh, audience at home, you can feel free to think I'm completely insane, but I can see with my eyes closed now. I know it sounds silly. It probably doesn't sound silly to you, but like I did all third eye stuff. So like, not that I can point across the room and read something, but I just, I now have a, vi if you want to go psycho psychology wise, my visualization is exponentially better than it used to be. You know, with eyes closed, I can literally see I'm whatever, you know, I've recircuited my brain to allow myself to think that I'm having visual input happen with eyes closed. And 
that makes sense to me. So I'm like, oh, I got all that. So I can just skip to skip to the head chakras. This is easy. But doing in doing so, like I have no grounding to earth. Like I have no, you know, right. you, but I found myself that's like, oh, well, that's because I did it because my, it's not necessarily dogma, but what I, I found myself valuing over everything else and therefore focusing on was the head stuff. And so you kind of, I suppose I'm just kind of doing that path work, you know, of trying to get yourself back to step one because I avoided it because it's, you yeah, know, well, that's all that shit. You know, right. that's all that, right. you know, I can just throw that out and skip to, you know, 12 pages in. The chaos magic books. I don't need to see how to make a sigil again. I'm good. Like I'm, I, I need it. I need to go to book two now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think most of our practice is dependent on that, those basics and yeah. even, you know, the most advanced practitioner has to return to the basics at times. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of where you, you get to. Yeah. As far as, so my personal kind of practice is, you know, I like, to, I do like doing sigils cause I just, I don't know, there's something really, it just feels magic-y, you know? And right. that's what I like is just, if I, if it feels magic-y to me, that's what I do. So I did, a, I did a whole run of doing like kind of blood ritual stuff. Nothing too severe, but you know, just mm-hmm. basically, you know, just coloring a sigil with blood. Just, right. it feels like, oh, like a cool this is, you know, this is, this is some, you know, fun magic stuff. And then I was reading about kind of, uh, I was reading about sex magic. And this goes back to the energy thing of essentially, you know, the, the crudest form is, you know, you, you jerk off on a sigil, you know, it's, it's, right. you know, but, as far as like energy work wise and this, you know, why I'm asking the long well, way around. I'm going to stop you right yeah, there. Um, you, you do jerk off on a sigil, but while you're doing it, you have to have your intent in mind the entire yeah. time. You can't be focusing on, you know, some porn you're watching. Yeah, yeah. You have to be focusing on the sigil itself and that point. And then when you reach orgasm, then, you know, your energy is released. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what I mean. Yeah. Intention is, is, is key, you know, of, Anything we're dealing with, yeah. If your if your mind's wandering while making a sigil, it's pointless. It, to, at yeah. least to me, it's at that point, it's not feeling magicy. It's not feeling like there's any value to it. Now you're just you're just coloring in shapes. You know, you're not yeah. you're not yeah. with semen, nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's I mean, it's, sorry, this is the crude question because I was I was reading about kind of the history of the Ankh and and Egyptian sex magic okay. and how the Ankh is actually a representation of what I think in more common terms would be tantra, like avoiding orgasm so the 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 energy cycles back into yourself and that's the shape of the onk is representation of the sex energy being denied and then cycling back in okay i, I mean i don't know if that might be just some some guy made that line up and, um, but it made it it rang true and then because there is some weird overlap with uh uh with with you know india to egypt you know there seems to be a communication between them at some far gone point with energy work that's also uh yeah present in chinese um energetic beliefs like taoism yeah taoist uh, qi masters whatnot um that's that's another thing that they practice over there um the absence of orgasm um and they kind of get a- around that with uh teaching yourself to basically have an orgasm without spilling your semen because apparently that's the um the essence of of life and yeah qi. um with my experimentation with it um it is, I don't know, I've been practicing that and, and experimenting with it lately. So I couldn't tell you, yes, then this is, you know, more prevalent. But I'm also, you know, feeling more in touch with my 
ability to access all of this information that I'd, I'd read and, and practiced yeah. throughout the years, uh, right now. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those, I mean, it goes to the, I mean, it's a, it's a very specific question, but it goes to, at least to my mind, the fundamental nature of what we're doing as magicians, whether, whether this is a psychological insight to, are you, are you coming on a sigil going, that's burning into your brain, you're releasing, you know, it's the most powerful chemicals we have available to us. It's, it's without death, it's orgasm. So if you're doing that, you're releasing those things into your brain and kind of training your brain with most powerful, you know, chemical helpers as possible. Right. Or is this a, I don't want to use sacrifice, but is this a, a, a spilling of energy into the universe to, to affect a change in, in a Newtonian kind of way, in a, in, you know, in my, system of belief the, the way i view it um is that these sigils are indirectly affecting the energetic framework of our universe um there is one that lies throughout everything and we are able to uh tap into it at specific times through elation like uh during sex or you know pain or simply numbing the mind to a point of non-thinking and so in doing so, you have to get into these crazy stances or, or you know, uh, standing or yoga or sex or, you know, harming yourself. And when you focus on a sigil, um, you are in effect, you know, basically you create the sigil, you know, all of this step process, um, you're driving it into the universe and indirectly affecting the energy work, basically. And so when you practice energy work, when you're able to, you know, calm your mind to a point where you can directly do it, then I feel like you're truly manifesting and, you know, channeling all of this energy around you um, and not indirectly. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a literal, literal is probably the wrong word, but a, yeah, a direct manipulation of something that is at least to casual verbiage, a physical thing, you know, a, a Right. You know, in that energy matter, same thing, that kind of, there is something happening. You know? right. And Carol did um, briefly mention something like this, um, where you could go into your astral temple and perform rituals there as an astral being. Yeah. And uh, without, you know, the use of any, you know, physical format, you, you go there and project there and you do the ritual you had set out. Um, in, in that space. And, uh, in my mind, you can also go a step further and use energy to, to do, you know, your will or your intent. Yeah. That's, that's one of those interesting psychological overlaps too. Cause one of the, um, if you ever want to learn how to have much better memory, one of the techniques is you invent a, a storehouse in your head and picture yourself walking in and going, Oh, well, that's where I keep trigonometry and right and right. but it's it's odd because this is this is or maybe i mean maybe carol read about that but it's it's there's such a reflection between the two that i think the casual listener or the casual reader wouldn't know that really psychology and magic are i mean they're like right. a shade away from one another i mean I they're so they're the close same thing yeah 90 yeah. percent of magic is yeah truly psychology it, it's finding a way to manipulate the mind yourself yeah it's such an interesting thing so when people ask me about, you know, any kind of ritual stuff, I, one, I never give recommendations. I mean, I can tell them what I've done because I can t most of it hasn't worked because you feel silly. Like I was doing the, um, 
oh, I can't even remember which one it was, but it was some cleansing ritual. And I just, at some point midway through, I just had the, like, kind of the realization of ridiculousness. And it's like, yeah, fuck. All right, forget it. I'm just done. <laughs> you know, because it's one of those things where I had to remember how to say an archangel's name or some kind of thing. And, right. and I was just giving it a go because, you know, I'll give it a go. I'm, you know, I'm fine with it. Like, I like chanting mantras. I have no idea what they mean. Like, the actual words in Sanskrit or whatever, you know, doesn't matter. And it's see, effective, you know. The point of a mantra, in my mind, is to manipulate the mind in a way to bring about change in your daily life. Um, one of my mantras, my favorite mantras that I got from a teacher of mine, um, was understanding breeds compassion. And I would say it every morning and every day. And eventually I, I began to be more and more happy and understanding of people around me. Even if we didn't share the same beliefs, even if they were, you know, at the time Christian or atheist, um, and wholly hated me for my beliefs, uh, my understanding of them, uh, made me feel better. And that might be selfish, but, you know, that, that was the intent of the ritual and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. I mean, there's a bunch of them and, and ones I don't agree with. There's, uh, I love J.D. Salinger as a writer. Not Catcher in the Rye, but his other books I'm a huge fan of. But in uh, Franny and Zooey, they talk about um, Pilgrim's Path, or the Path of the Pilgrim. Have you ever read that book? I haven't. Unfortunately, uh, I've only, only read Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. Um, oh, no, no. Uh, so this is Franny and Zooey's uh, two short stories, and then they reference a real-life book called the, the Way of the Pilgrim, The Pilgrim's Way. It's this Russian um, Christian peasant that walks around and essentially starts saying the Jesus prayer in his head over and over, and eventually it kind of sinks in and in my in in my verbiage would be he reprogrammed himself and then at the end he becomes you know kind of uber christian right. but it's interesting because again we're we're dealing with entirely you know at least with the way i grew up a uh, you know devil is downstairs god's upstairs you know there's one god thing but it's the same it, it, it's chanting mantra it's it's the same work that's being done by their you know to their association the pagans and the heathens you know? right um, Jung draws an interesting parallel, um, in his red book, uh, where he goes down into hell to, uh, to find some sense of holiness in himself. And, and it's all very metaphorical. And I'm not sure if it's actually real in his mind, but when you read it as a form of poetry and metaphor, um, and if you're able to really truly try and understand what he's saying, I think it's probably the most spiritual book ever written. Um, and I, I mean that, yeah. um, it's a hard read to get through all the way because it's so thick, but uh, he he does make that parallel. Um, he was venturing into hell, and his soul was flying up into heaven, and uh, eventually he realized that it was one and the same. That um, you know, as far down as you go, like we said earlier, eventually you come to a very holy place. Yeah. Um. I'd like to speak a bit more about energy work strictly. No, no, please. No. Um, so in terms of energy, it's a little bit different than our current uh, understanding of uh, magic and, and whatnot. Um, through my, I would I hesitate to say research, um, through my practices, um, I found that your traditional, you know, let's, let's for instance, bring up a haunting. So a traditional haunting is, you know, there's a spirit inhabiting this place. Um, there's, you know, and they're angered or, or whatever because, you know, objects are moved or, or, you know, there, there's a great deal of pain that, that was there and, and the spirit resides there. 
um, this uh, practice has brought me to a point where all things are of an energetic nature and all people are energetic beings. And um, let's say there's a haunting with a, an extreme case of sorrow or pain. Um, that brings up, you know, an old point we just spoke about with the sigils. Um, pain, you're able to influence the space around you and, uh, or elation, orgasm, whatever. And during those times, uh, we, we influence our environment and that in essence influences the, this haunted world, this realm, um, that like, let's say it's in a room. So there's this room where a great deal of pain was experienced and there's now a haunting there, um, you know, 20 years later. Well, in my mind, this, the, the energetic framework has been affected in such a way that it's reminiscent. Um, it, it, you know, feels a bad way there. When you walk in there, you have this strange foreboding sense and feeling. And if it's a historic building, um, or, uh, an iconic building in a way that, you know, people owned this place, it was a business and, you know, something like that, then you're liable to give that feeling a name. And when you do that, um, if you have any understanding of creating or, you know, dismembering an entity, when you give something a name and you prescribe attributes of emotion or feeling to it, then it becomes more and more persistent the more you think and talk about it. So basically, you're creating an entity. And people do it unconsciously all the time. So when I walk into a place like I did recently, um, we spoke a bit, Alex and I, um, about me clearing out a, a residence, uh, of a haunting. Um, it becomes more prevalent. You can feel it. And, uh, in my mind, these frameworks, these spirits, quote unquote, are actually energetic manifestations from a time past. Um, they're not, you know, spirits to communicate with. When you communicate with them, they just simply grow in power and they feed off of whatever you've been feeding them the entire time, be it fear, paranoia, or um, love and adoration, which is, you know, more and more rare, but you'll see it with uh, people who create tuplas and things of that nature. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, that's the, the other thing that's happening on Reddit right now. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, I like the way you describe that as, um, I just think of the spirit thing. I grew up in, uh, that I used casually haunted house. My basement had a, a feeling in it, but it never felt like a spirit to me. I always, it felt like I was living in a, you know, a, 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 a you know, film. Anyway, that was just the energy was the light that it emitted and then, you know, recorded itself on film. Right. So it's just, you know, all that is, it's just a kind of a remnant echo of, of, you know, for film, it's an echo of, sunlight hitting you know a medium that records sunlight so this is the energetic medium or whatever it is that recorded it so you get that kind of you know vibe if you want to use the term mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting so what do you, i mean i suppose what how do you how do you banish like how, what's the how do you know? have you ever read uh any of crowley's uh works of fiction no um, well, he wrote about Moonchild. This is the best parallel I can bring, um, to, I, I guess, in our current understanding. In Moonchild, there's this character named Simon If, 
and there was this magical construct that was thrown into their encampment or their um, mansion. And uh, it was described as this being. This has happened to me before, um, but this being came to them and, and they were able to see it, which is, you know, kind of rare. You don't really see physical manifestations and it's a great waste of energy to do so. But um, it was a malicious thing. And what Simon If did was he walked into it and consumed it. And that was his middle way. If you were leaning to the right or to the left, so to speak, um, it would have uh, hurt him in, in such a way. But instead he consumed the energy and bonded with it. And that's how I clear space. I don't completely destroy all of the energy. If I were to bleach it out, so to speak, if I were to suck the whole place uh, to nothingness, then it would be very easy for a person to go in there and re-implement new ideas that might be uh, even worse than what was already present because um, of their expectation of, of the energy that yeah. was present. And so... That's the reason why these great rituals of grandiose are necessary for the public that don't understand the uh, energetic framework there. But really all I'm doing is going in and, and consuming that and recycling it within myself. And it's not like an energetic vampire sort of thing. Rather, um, it's just simply a necessary thing that needs to be done um, because, you know, you don't want guests being frightened away or, you know, unable to sleep in a room. Um, and, and I can draw energy from anywhere. I can sit, you know, in a forest or in the river or on a plane and, and just universally draw it. But um, that's not really the point. It isn't It isn't to get more powerful. It's um, In the Tao Te Ching, uh, they say something along the lines of... Um, when you let go of your your energy, your aura, uh, the universe becomes your energy and aura. So it's really pointless mm. to draw it all in and become the strongest thing there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you would be existing within the framework of something stronger by definition. Yeah, right. So what do you when you when you take in something? This is something that uh, I fall prey to. I'm rather sensitive to locations. So anytime I'm somewhere that's got like bad vibes, I tend to take them with me somehow. Um, I don't, I can't word it better than that. Essentially, I just feel yeah. like I brought it home with me sometimes. How do you, I suppose I kind of on a more like a practical level, like, so you take it in, how do, how does it not color your energy? How does it not, uh, you know, affect what you're, you know? It, it certainly does for a time. Um, I bring it in and I feel all of that suffering at once. Yeah. Um, I feel it was there. I feel what, um, it wants uh, all the thoughts and feelings that were poured into it, and it uh, it simply wants to be recognized. That's that's generally the intent of the emotion. Um, we always have is to try and convey meaning to another being for a sense of understanding. When I feel love, I want that to be known by that person. When I feel pain, I want that to be known by the person causing it, or hate, you know, and even though, you know, hate might be a silent brooding thing, you want to take that out on a person in one way or another. And so that emotion that's present there in that room, it's just simply wanting to be understood, yeah, to be felt. 
so you're just taking it in and then kind of, I suppose, I suppose, like, I, I do understand what you're saying and I, I kind of feels it, what you're saying rings of truth to me, but I, I suppose the, um, I think I'm thinking of it more as a, if you're putting a, you're putting a drops of, um, put drops of food coloring in water. This, right. You've now colored the water. It's, it's the, that, the recycling process, I think, is kind of lost on me in a certain way. Okay. I'll, we have two energetic bodies from my understanding of practice. We have one that is the external aura, and then we have one that's the internal, um, it, it lives around the skin. And then we have a third, I guess, uh, that is our soul. Um, the internal body kind of functions like a kidney. It, it, you can go into this mode of recycling energy and it, it feels very much when, once you get into it, like kind of rolling or, or fuzzing and popping. Um, and you can recycle the, the external energy field. Um, and then the internal, you can do it with like kind of a flashing and really all I can explain, you know, in this is, is just these weird metaphorical words. Yeah. Um, but that's what it feels like for me. And I found that, you know, I don't carry all of that with me. Um, there was one time, uh, after I got done with my training, uh, with a, a teacher of four years or three years after I left, she sent a, uh, a great powerful being, a very, uh, it was sorrow and hatred, uh, to me. Um, and I consumed it. And that, um, that being could be felt by myself and, and people around me that were present during that time. And, uh, it, it was, it was like your Harry Potter Dementor, you know, yeah. they, they, it came in and, and everyone in the room started crying and, 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 you know, looking at this point in the room that was, uh, it was very unusual. Um, especially as I hang out with people that aren't really interested in the occult, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I don't think that you're feeling that now. So No, 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 it's not. Um, though I am kind of uh, empathetic to it. I actually kind of felt that kind of pull. Um, yeah, I, I suppose it's just one of those things where I just kind of, it's the, the natural inclination towards, the, or at least the way that I've broken myself over the years has been to take in everything without having the, I suppose, the, technique of, of knowing how to recycle or, you know, my, my recent, my recent phrasing is why I looked into ayahuasca was I just feel this need to, to purge, to, right. to, to you know, get all that black out. And it's, and most of that black is stuff that I kind of walk through, you know, it's, it's, it's food, it's food diet. It's not, it's not anything to do with me. It's, you know, um, there are a few ways to do healing. Um, one of them is to, uh, astral, astrally project outside of your body. Yeah. Uh, kind of split yourself in two and, and to look at your body, uh, objectively and to visualize that these things in your body are, uh, you know, one way or another, like crystal shards that you're pulling out or, um, blackness that you're, you're, you know, taking out and you put it in a circle and, and you, you know, heal yourself. Um, you can also evoke or create a healer type entity that can help you with this. Um, and then there's another way of just simply recycling it in yourself. So you can either go third person and look at this being that is yourself, or you can just strictly sit there and, and do it yourself uh, through just recycling. Yeah. Um, and, and you begin to do that with um, calming the mind. And, uh, yeah. 
And it's just kind of, I mean, I suppose, I guess it's just a natural process. So if you get to that point, you were described as, I guess, popping or, or like fuzzing. So let's just say, for, for my example, like I meditate reasonably often. I, I feel like I'm a, a sliver away from being able to astral project. Like I feel like I'm halfway out, like just not quite there. So I get there at some future point, 50 years from now, next Tuesday, whatever. Is this a natural thing that would happen to anybody in my position where it'd be like, oh, now I feel that popping that Gates described, or is that something that's got to be like a, uh, you know, do you, do you need the the physical movement or the the words for it? Do you need to train for it? Or is that just something that kind of, when you get to that awareness, it's it will um, happen? You know, it's a difficult thing. Yeah. Uh, the only, well, I found it on my own. Yeah, and, and it basically when you're aware of your energy, when you're able to just simply feel it, um you try and, and do things with it. Uh, it, it becomes very interesting to you, uh, yeah. especially when it becomes, you know, the forefront of your activity of the mind isn't now, uh, you know, whatever you're thinking of, it's instead this energy that you're newly, you know, developing a sensation for. Um, and so you begin to try and roll it or change it. And, and when you begin rolling it, um, it, it, that's basically the initial kind of recycling, um, that, that's the way I was able to. Yeah. You know, it's, it, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the point I'm at and in kind of my practice. This is a stuff I kind of wanted to, I suppose, advice wise. All right. So my position right there, you got that, but I always feel like, all right, so I'm meditating super deep, but I feel like I can't quite get out of my body. Like I'm, I feel the motion. I feel the, that hurling kind of moving forward, but I just, it almost like there's like a, like a, like a, 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 a turned off TV, like a, like a quarter inch in front. Like there's just, you know, there's a, there's a stopping thing, you know, there's, what would you do in your, in, in this, in this situation? You know, obviously you're not in this situation. So, um, is there any way we could take a break? Okay. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Let me hit pause. Okay. Back from bathroom breaks. What were we saying? Okay, before the break, yeah. you were asking me about oh, yeah. a block that you might experience during astral projection. Yeah, I can't seem to they describe that pop when you get out. I can't. I feel like I'm on I'm pushing against the balloon, like but the, the pop isn't happening. Right. Um, from my experience, uh, all the things I say are strictly from my experience. Um, there are a few ways to do it. Um, what worked for me at a very young age, this is how I actually initially began doing this, was to kind of self-hypnotize, um, to, to start at a, a large number, maybe a hundred, maybe ten, maybe thirty, um, and then slowly count down. And eventually your breaths get slower and slower to a point that you, um, are able to just simply visualize yourself leaving. And so the closer you get to zero, the further out you go and your mind completely becomes completely blank and, and strictly visualizes this uh, thing happening. And it all um, basically comes down to uh, what you're doing this for. Um, there's a few theories, of course, uh, just like there are in terms of magic. It, it can be purely psychological. It can be actual, you know, magic practice, and it can be an energetic thing. And, you know, all things between. Um, and so the things you might encounter there, um, they might not, you know, mesh with reality. So you could be speaking to, you know, the spirit of Timothy Leary, 
and he might be speaking, you know, in this Scottish accent and, yeah. you know, he might not be Scottish in actuality, you know, but it doesn't mean that that experience is invalid. In terms of actually trying to get out, I would practice that calming your breath, calming your mind and visualization, much of energetic practice and, um, astral projection. They're very similar in that it is mostly visualization. Yeah. See, I can get to, I forget we were saying this on the air, but I know the audience has heard me talk about it before, but I got to the point where I was, I said I got contacted by Sekhmet, an Egyptian deity. And I've had a few Egyptian things where, uh, the Merkaba, you know, the energetic mm-hmm. thing. I literally never heard that word before. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper while I was in, like, I was trying to do a, um, trance drawing. And, oh, wait, actually, I don't know. See, I'd never heard of a Merkaba before. And I, and that was, I obviously, I'm not a talented artist, but, um, that was the idea. I was just trying to, uh, free associate draw and then, Two years later or so, I was looked at some, um, I think it may have been the Spirit Science uh, on YouTube, yeah. the cartoon series. And um, I was like, Merc- wait, that sounds familiar. So I had to like, go back and find I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? So I can get in my head in a place where I'm not, I don't feel like I'm physically in my body. And I'm I, the way I picture it is a kind of a gossamer veil that's kind of curved in on itself. And there I've had contact and that's where I kind of met Sekhmet and that's where this showed up. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like it's a fi- like I don't have that physical floating out of the the typical uh, astral projection feel. It just feels like. Well, is there such a thing? Is I mean, typical... I, I mean, I guess maybe that's right. that's what I'm fighting with because it's it feels like I'm not there. Like I am, I'm not on a couch or or sitting lotus. It's I'm looking at the weird gossamer thing and trying to associate it with that, but it doesn't. I don't know. I guess, I guess maybe I'm associate. I guess maybe it's everybody, not everybody, but I've heard so much about the, the thread that attaches you and it's a, it's right. your, it's your, your spirit body. And the reason we have a thread, I, I guided a, uh, well, a girlfriend of old through, uh, an energetic working, like a astral projection, something she'd never done. Yeah. And, and I, I did the, um, basically go into a trance and, and, you know, walking around and whatnot. The reason why we have, uh, silver thread is um in terms of you know so you don't get lost in the psyche so you don't you know walk down into those demons that you hold in your mind and and get trapped in that you know kind of mental loop until you wake up from a very bad dream yeah or don't you know and that's kind of the the scary danger that's you know probably not going to happen but the reason why the silver cord is there is just so you remember at all times no matter where you are you can get back yeah yeah, it's interesting. I, so, I guess maybe just because I've already been, I've already kind of dealt, I've already, I already walked into my basement and hung out with those demons already. So I suppose, right? I'm not particularly worried about getting caught there because, you know, I'm already well familiar with those guys. You know, we've, we've, you know, we've had beers. They punch me. Yeah. It's not, you know, there's can't hurt me. Already done. Like yeah. Uh, yeah, ex post yeah. facto, no reason. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's just I feel for me, I'm kind of, and I, I don't want to use the word stuck because I feel like I'm still kind of evolving and moving down that path, but. I feel like I've been at that kind of gossamer veil level for a while. And it's just this, it's a weird, um, it's a weird thing to kind of be going through like a healing process and an evolving, you know, spiritual and magical process. And then also feel simultaneously stuck. It's, uh, it's, it's an odd duality. I mean, it gets everything's an odd duality to have in your head. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
you know, all I can say to that is, you know, I, I've been stuck before and I, you know, might even currently be. Yeah. Um, we plateau and then we, you know, for a while and then we find something that's, you know, like you said earlier, so simple. It's been there the entire time since you were seven years old. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you come into this new enlightenment, you know, for a time and then you do it all over again. Yeah. And then, um, so we're kind of, I mean, we don't, you know, close enough to the wrapping up point, but as far as an energetic level, this is something that I've experienced directly multiple times and I sort of know how to fight it off now, but, and I know other people that fall prey to it and there's a few people that I want to point at this part of the, the, the talk. What do you do with, with psychic vampires when you run into them or energy vampires? Cause I, man, I know like four of them off the top of my head. Uh, um, in terms of an energetic vampire, I mean, yes, you can feed off of another living being. Um, I, I found that it's much easier to do that if you want to, um, by eating meat. Um, you, yeah. you can basically consume the energy around you if you truly want to be an energetic vampire. Oh, no, That's I don't the want them at all. I, I mean, the predatory ones that like they sit next to you and you're just like, Ugh, and you kind of feel drained and there's like malaise. And you can almost feel yourself being. You know, the, the forceful ones is kind of what I'm referencing. Um, in that sense, I would suggest a banishing ritual. Yeah. That usually works. Um, what I would do is, you know, a, a varying form of energetic attack or just simply shunting it. Yeah. Um, there, there are ways. It's more of a, a complicated uh, method of using energy is to divert that sort of energy that's being drained from you. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those one of those things I run into, and I've kind of, I just kind of feel it like I kind of know how to not let it happen. There's no good verbiage for it, but it just kind of, oh, that thing. It's not, you know, kind of I can outthink it a little bit. But I know other people that I because I have other sensitive friends that it's you can watch it happen. And it's just like, ooh, this is all you know. I don't. The only thing you find is you know draw a white light circle around you in your head. And, right. Uh, to me, I just feel like that's kind of showy and people end up looking at you too much. Right. I don't right. know if you're of this way where you, if you try to, I don't know if you're kind of sparkly energetically, but like where if you start trying to, like if I do the, oh, I'm going to try to have a big glowing white ball around me. It does seem like now people are going to come and talk to me more often and I'm going to, the eyes get drawn in my direction. It's like, I don't, I wasn't trying to do that. I was just trying to not have this, you know, the, vampire next to me you know get a free meal exactly um i try and appear just as simple as as everyone else um there is a you know shielding that i guess i can go into that that's an aspect of energy work that uh you can create concepts of shields that are as complicated or as simple as you'd like that surround your body um they can be a filter or a um, you know, very hard surface to keep, you know, unwanted energies at bay. Um, to visualize one, it's basically like you would create a chi bowl and then you'd visualize what kind of shield you'd have. Um, the two basic types that my teacher introduced me to, um, and the ones I'll share are the, uh, the soapy kind of foamy one and then the spiky one. Very simple. And, uh, you can bring them up to, very complicated forms, but you know, there's really no point in that unless you want to draw attention. Yeah. And, um, you can basically overlay that over your energetic body and that should keep, you know, unwanted energies away. Um, 
I would only keep one shield active at a time around the energetic body. And if you plan on shielding your household, um, you can layer them, but uh, I'd be careful with that also. Um, also remember to stay grounded. Uh, if you're doing any sort of energy work, you can get to a place where it feels very much like a seizure is happening, uh, where all your energetic sort of nodes are, are firing at once. You become overloaded, especially if you start channeling higher frequency energies. Um, when you ground yourself to, you know, the ground, just visualize a ground uh, going in the downwardly direction um, to the surface that you're on. You can be in a plane. You could be standing upside down so long as it's to another thing. Yeah. Um, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. That's something I'm, I'm glad you referenced that. That's something I need to try again. I find myself falling into, and coincidentally, it's the same thing as I, I go to my heart chakras way too open, um, which is fine because I like it. It keeps me not being a shithead. But, um, uh, you know, the feeling of being in love in my head, I describe it as like zip zips where it's it's like a nine volt battery in your tongue mm -hmm. but that's also kind of that it's that same thing that overabundance of energy and you know mostly for me lately thank thankfully it's been channeled to you know a heart kind of soul direction but there's other times where you know you can over energize that kind of seizure you know right and yeah it's usually best to start off practice with just simply visualizing that ground yeah and once you do that then you can go and be free to uh, channel or do whatever. Yeah. Yeah, certainly interesting. And this is a conversation I was having today with someone, just curiosity, not, almost nothing to do with energy work, but it might. You referenced Coyote before. Do you have any hints to find out what your spirit animal is? You see, when I was very young, I uh, had a fascination with animals, as we yeah. all do. And um, I always thought I was like this great, powerful wolf. And uh, it was kind of a joke uh, between myself and my teacher, you know, when, you know, she said to me, you're not a wolf, you're a coyote. Yeah. And um, it dawned on me, like, earlier when I, I, as I was very young, I was visiting Canada, and uh, I was visiting the shops, and then I, I saw this howling, you know, not creature that um, someone had made out of... I don't know. They just curved it out of the, kind of like this soft stone substance. And the the man there, um, I asked him, you know, is that a wolf? And he's like, no, no, it's a coyote. And it's, you know, any any kind of form animal, you yeah. know, it could be anything. But he was adamant it was a coyote. And so I was like, whatever, I'll just pretend it's a wolf and, yeah. and wore it. Um, I, I wouldn't say that everyone has a spirit animal. Um, you might draw them in just kind of like your pantheon of, of gods that are inside your head. Um, you might identify with, you know, the energy of one, um, from the native American mythos of, you know, a sp specific, uh, kind of culture and whatnot. I tend to identify with coyote. Yeah. You might identify with, you know, Athena or Sekhmet. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, this is one of those things where I try to put my, like, it's my, it's going to make no sense, but none of this stuff is because it's all subjective, you know, reality slash truth slash nothing. But I think my spirit animal is an eyeball. Okay. It's <laughs> weird, but it's the thing that like when, when anytime some, I immediately think of like some kind of crow or corvid, um, just because they're smart and have weird voices. Right. Cause I didn't know they talked until really later in life. And I'm like, those things talk. And it's like, oh, they, they just don't want to, they can't be bothered. You know, <laughs> it's, I just feel like they're kind of, it's kind of coyote like. It's like, 
tricky. You know, they're just kind of too smart for the room things. Right. But somewhere in my head, it's always like it's just an eyeball, and it's it just the thought form. You know, it could be Athena, it could be Sekhmet, it could be Coyote, it could be you know whatever you want. But you know, for me, I think it might be an eyeball. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, for me, I I created basically a tupla um, yeah. in my younger days. Um, created a lot of art forms to represent the coyote and what that meant to me. And I did it so much so that it talked to people that had no idea that the occult was the occult. There was truth in it. I was going to, glad you said that. So those, um, uh, Topa took that word. I struggle with it because I learned it from a show on a podcast that they have Australian accents. So. The, I, I don't know how to pronounce uh, yeah, it. Either. Yeah, All I, I do I, is read these yeah, things. I, yeah. And I know it from <laughs> Australian. So, um, so it's for the audience at home. Essentially, it's a a creature of intention. Almost, it's something you can almost call into existence based on either ritual or thought form. So, right. so you think there's a? Not, I don't want to say you think, but under the auspice of the conversation we're having, that you there's a physical creation in this process. Well, yes. Yeah. Um, it's. Have you ever read Creating Magical Entities? No. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, another one of, it's kind of like one of Carol's, you know, I wouldn't say followers, but, you know, one of the, the IOT that, that basically, you know, write books on the subject. Yeah. And so he wrote a book, uh, I think long before I had even read, you know, the, the possibility of a tupla, however you pronounce yeah, that, that word. Yeah, that word, yeah. <laughs> about creating magical entities with personality and, and whatnot. Um, and so, that's what I did with Coyote. Yeah, yeah. It's I've I've avoided it just personally because I I just fear of uh not fear just hesitation that I would bring something in that I don't know how to get rid of and I just I'm like yeah I'll, you know maybe I'll do it later but well that's the secret yeah. of um the abracadabra triangle um you you call something into being starting with the A and then getting more complicated and then you know you inverse it if you want to get rid of it yeah so you know you start with abracadabra and you go down to A. Until it's no longer a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, one of those, um, for people at home, essentially there's these techniques that you can have for when you're either calling something in existence or doing a ritual. So, uh, there's the abracadabra triangle. There's the, um, a lot of people do the, you stand in a circle and then you can do like kind of almost fuses on your candles. So you have your ritual stuff going on. So you enter this space and that you're in this, while you're in the sacred circle, nothing can hurt you. There's no, you know, you can interact with the outside world. The outside world can't interact with you. And then you kind of MacGyver your way into breaking the circle. That being, you know, the candle goes out or the ritual ends. Right. And yeah. So if anybody's at home wanting to start doing ritual stuff, learn protection things because it's really good for your brain as well. Cause it gives you a security blanket. You well, know, as coyote yeah. might say, throw yourself into chaos and yeah. try and laugh. Well, that's true too. If you have the ability <laughs> to laugh, but you know, sometimes, sometimes, uh, sometimes things take a left turn and it's difficult to get that, that joy circuit going again or yep. laughing circuit. Uh, you don't truly believe in demons until they knock your ass across the room. Yeah. That's uh well, that was my mushroom thing is I, I was laughing at Christianity. Certainly had no con. I would, I didn't believe in the devil in any way, shape or form. And my vision of it was literally demons ripping my face off. I was in my friend's Buick and he was driving me home because I was having a bad trip mm-hmm. and it was demons tearing the window open, taking chunks of my face, like in the most, the most not creative bad trip thing ever. Like it's, it's right after, oh, my friend turned into a glass of orange juice. Like it's literally the most A level, like, yeah, demons attacked me, you know. (laughs) That's actually an initiation in some shamanic circles 
if you have ever picked up, um, it's a very dry read, but it's uh, Shamanism, Archaic Techniques, and yeah. Ecstasy by Mircea Elliott. Um, I'm probably butchering his name, and I apologize. Yeah. Um, he basically analyzes all of the myth and legend throughout shamanic cultures all over the world in history and present times, and being dismembered by demons or malicious spirits and eaten is part of an initiation, and I would say your ego death or your ripping apart of demons was, in essence, a initiation for you. It certainly set me on a path that I... There's the, you know, the phrase that, uh, you know, synchronicity is, is the universe's way of telling you you're, you know, you're going in the right way. Or some people say, you know, the universe saying warmer, warmer. And that, those demons ripping my face off would certainly put me in the direction I find myself now that I find a lot more synchronicity and a lot more strangeness in the universe to right. which I think this is, this is, you know, evidence or at least, you know, a comforting hand saying, you know, you're on your way. So yeah, it could be, that could have been my initiation. Yeah. Because unfortunately, you know, no one was around to explain that to me. <laughs> would have been nice. I would have saved a few years. <laughs> well, maybe, but, you know, the point is the path itself. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's true, but it, I never under, I never had anxiety before that. So I went for years of dealing with terrific amounts of anxiety before I didn't even know the term ego death. Like, I'm fine with doing it. I'll do the work. I'll take the pain. I'm, I'm good <laughs> with it. But like, oh man, I could have really fast forwarded because I wasn't really doing anything. I was just going to sit around going, Oh, I guess I should have SSRIs now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Which is a, an interesting thing, even again, for people at home. I'm not saying, uh, pick up ritual magic and put down your brain meds, but I can tell you that me picking up ritual magic put down my brain meds, so. Yeah, it, it's worked for me too. Yeah. So. We're retraining the universe to, you know, retraining your way of viewing the universe to laugh for it. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling, I was telling someone recently that, the whole idea of a healing is the you know, right now while we're having the conversation, we exist in the universe where both of us are perfect and healed and we're fine. It's just we have to now exist in that universe. You know, it's there, it's happening right now, but we have to live in it, you know. Yeah. It's 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 existent, you know. It's interesting. The whole thing's interesting. I'm saying it's interesting too much tonight. I apologize. I'll go back and not edit that out. Well, it's your mantra for the night. Yeah, I guess so. I get stuck on that. The, the other night I was saying frankly too often, and I didn't even know that was a word I was using. <laughs> it's, I, I didn't even know that was a thing for me, but so it goes. Yeah, so, well, thank you for coming on very much. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, thank it, you for having me. It was fascinating. See, and it was interesting that time. Hey. Uh, is there anything that you want to tell the audience about? Any stuff or just... Um, yeah? Well, if you'd like to contact me personally, you can... Send me an email at gates3 at gmail.com. That is G-A-T-E-S-T-H-R-E-E -E at gmail.com. I like it. And, yeah, you guys all know how to find me. I'm at the Alex Cast and all that stuff. I'll put all that at the beginning and the other thing because I also forgot to do ads and whatever. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>